Does reading and understanding the Bible seem to be a daunting task? Today, Dakota Stevens walks us through the how and why we should make the Bible an important part of our everyday. Um, so if we're going to put our faith into Christ, then we must be, we must believe that his word matters and that every part of it was written for our benefit and can apply to our lives today. All right, welcome to episode 150, and I'm glad you're listening today to this episode of Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host, and I am so looking forward to our topic today. But before we jump into that, I want to introduce you to my guest, Dakota Stevens. She is a friend of mine, a fellow Bible, 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 I can't even speak, (laughs) Bible studier and an avid reader. Uh, I'm really excited that you're coming on to chit chat with us today, Dakota. Well, thank you so much for having me, Julie. I am excited to be here. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have not. This okay. is my first time. Yes, that's very exciting. So um, it's not my first round, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I still make mistakes every time. So, um, okay, Dakota, I always ask my guest, you know, a few, the first time they're on the podcast, and since this is your first time, actually, I ask everybody every time goofy questions <laughs> just because it's fun. So why don't you tell me a little bit about who you live with? What do you do every day? And what are some of your favorite hobbies? Yeah, um, so I am married to my husband, Nate. We have been married going on five and a half years now. Um, And then we have my daughter, Hazel. She's almost three years old. My son, Shiloh, is almost two years old. Um, And I am currently pregnant with our third, which by the time this episode drops, he might be here already. (laughs) So coming up quick. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Um, we were foster parents, so we have a foster child right now, and so I'm busy with that. But some of my hobbies, like you mentioned, I love to read. Um, that's probably the biggest hobby that I enjoy. But um, I also really like cooking, trying new recipes, and I've recently, in the past couple of years, gotten into doing, like, um, cross-stitch and, like, needlepoint and sewing that's um, fun. Projects. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, Dakota did something really cool for me for Christmas a few years ago. I may have mentioned this on the podcast. I feel like I did, but you made us a, um, you, t- you made like a, a framed image with cross stitch and mm-hmm. it's each of my family members in yeah. cross stitch <laughs> and it's really quite accurate. <laughs> I was surprised. You did make me thinner <laughs> and I appreciated that. Yes. Yeah, so which is important, you know, if you're going to be cross Oh, yeah. Then you don't have to do all those extra X's all the way around <laughs> the outside, right? <laughs> all right. Um, I know that you mentioned or I mentioned earlier that you're an avid reader, and you talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit ago. I was thinking, though, you have a very busy life, yes. right? You said you're fostering right now. Yeah. And you have two little ones, and they are not, like, sit down on the floor and play kids. They, no. like, are everywhere because I know them. Especially my daughter. Yeah. Hazel is everywhere there is possible to be. So uh, she's not disobedient. She's just busy. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lots yeah. of energy. Yeah. So how do you even find time to read? Like, how can a busy mom or a busy woman find time to read? And like, what are some of your tips, your hacks, your reading hacks? <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, as a busy mom, like, I am definitely not reading as much as I might have, like, back in college or like in my early married days. Um, But I do love reading a lot, like I mentioned. And I think when you love something, like you're willing to find ways to make it work and make it happen. Um, So one thing I do is I try to wake up earlier in the morning before my kids wake up, um, usually Hmm. to get like my Bible reading done. And then depending on what my day looks like, if I have time, um, I'll try to read for at least half an hour, usually like during my kids' nap time, um, just when I have some quiet time and um, 
you know, try to make it happen then. Um, and then my husband and I, we've also kind of decided that in the evenings we're going to try to watch less TV um, and stop being on our phones as much and actually take that time to read. Nice. Um, whether together or each reading our own separate books. Um, so that's something we do. But I think probably like the biggest hack I would say is just like it's so important to always have a book available Hmm. at any time, ready to pick up at any time. Um, So I recently started using like technology and apps on my phone to help me do this. Um, I use like the Hoopla and the Libby library apps, which are free. Yes. So many books, um, free to use, really easy. So I will download both audio and print books. Um, And then for audio books, like I'll just put in headphones and listen while I'm working on like chores around the house or, you know, cleaning, making dinner, that sort of stuff. Um, That's great to just kind of have on in the background. Um, And then for print books, like... I definitely prefer reading from an actual hard copy physical yes, book. Yes. Um, but just because, like, I always have my phone on me, it's just easy because then if I have, you know, some times where, like, I'm waiting to pick up a grocery order yep. or I'm at the doctor's office waiting, um, I can have it on hand available to read then. So I guess for me it's really just about finding those pockets of time here and there throughout my day that I can dedicate to reading yeah. and just always having that book available to pick up at a moment's notice. Yeah, I like um, I like one thing you said that um, you just have one ready all the time. I think that's really important. I was reading a book uh, maybe two summers ago, and I had it in audio version and print version. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I could go – I could listen to like a chapter while I was doing dishes, and then I was like, oh, I can sit down and read. So I'd pick the book up. Yeah. But it, it, it's kind of weird. But it also, I could hear the woman's voice in the background as I read, you know, <laughs> yeah. the physical copy. But right. I also think YouTube is kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever looked up a book mm-hmm. on YouTube. No. I have found a lot of books on YouTube that someone just read mm-hmm. out loud, and they're on YouTube, and you can just hear them reading, huh. especially older books. Okay, yeah. You know, I think, um, well, and my kids did this. My kids have used YouTube before when they had to, you know, read and follow along in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember... My son was maybe sixth grade, and he did The Hobbit that way. Oh, The okay. Hobbit's kind of a—I uh, mean, it's a good book. Yeah, but it's a—it's a hefty book, and so he would read along, and he would listen to this amazing man reading it. That—that <laughs> like, that always helps yes, having yes. a good narrator. Yeah, it was. So anyway, it's um, it, it, those are good things. I like how yeah. you just said you got to plan for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, a friend of mine just told me that she is committed to 20 pages a day. Oh, wow. So she said, I'm going to, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I setting thought. goals like that could definitely yeah. be helpful. So what are you currently reading right now? And wait, oh, I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Do you do more than one book at a time? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, oh, so, no. <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm usually reading like three or four books at a time. But um, so I, like I said, I have like an audio book that I'll be listening to when I need that. Um, but then right now I'm also reading, uh, I'm slowly working my way through JC Ryle's Practical Religion. Oh, okay. Um, so that's been a slow read. Um, so that's one. How I many kinda... pages is that book? Oh, Are we gosh. talking like 400 or something like that? Or I don't think it's that much, okay. but the print is very small. Oh, okay. So, yes. um, yeah. And then I'm also reading a biography on Queen Victoria, Ooh, which cool. has actually been really, I love that really interesting. Yeah. When you can find a good one, that's like, yeah. again, good author and you know, holds your interest. It's it's been really interesting yeah. to read. So, do you ever start books and not read the rest of it? Um, I, I you... try not to. So, I I definitely have books that I will like start and then pause and not get back into for a okay. while. Like I started reading On with the Wind like three years ago, okay. and I still haven't finished it. Okay. Um, but I try to if I started it to get through it at some okay. point to keep persevere. Yeah, unless it's, it's just like a terrible book and then it's and sometimes that is the case yeah and there's yeah. just no point in yeah. finishing it um okay so right now you're re- you've got this is three books right now um yes three books okay 
Okay. I, I've got actually do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I kind of scoffed at it a minute ago, but I do have, I usually have like a, I'm not really a fiction reader. Mm-hmm. I, in my deep down inside, I feel like it's a waste of time and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, I'm all, trying the, to all the, yeah. all the fiction readers out there. <laughs> I apologize to you, but I feel like, what is this doing for me? However, in the book that I'm reading right now, and I cannot actually remember the name, but it's about a library, no, about a bookstore in the um, World War II. Okay. Is it The Book Thief? Yeah. No, not The Book oh, okay. Thief. No, but it's it's kind of, I don't know, but it's it's a good book so far. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. I can't even remember the name. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but then I always have like um, informative books. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's my go-to. Let mm-hmm. me read about how to do this or how to be a better Christian or how to do this, you know, I don't know. I even sometimes will get recipe books at the library and just read through them, you know? Yeah. Okay, maybe not every recipe, but. Yeah, I've definitely just over the past year, I've been trying to get more like out of the reading fiction and more into like biographies. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, informative. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it is more profitable. It's good. I know, but it's okay to do fiction. Oh yeah. Too. Every now yeah. and then. Yeah. Especially if, like the old classics. Yeah. And, and if you have um, children, fiction is great. Mm-hmm. Fiction, you know, I can, I've read a lot of children's novels out loud with my kids mm-hmm. as they were growing up because they were, you know, they were just really good. Okay. So recently I went to, um, we have a, like a Goodwill in our, in our town mm-hmm. and, um, like a used, used clothing and stuff. And they have a new used bookstore. I heard that. And, um, I went, I thought I'm going to do this. It was like a Friday afternoon and I didn't have anything going on. So I went up there and I went to, into the store and there was um, the religion and spirituality section. And I thought, this is what I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. So I walked over and I went through, there was like four bookshelves of it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I literally found two books, only two books that I even yeah. think, one of them I had already read. And I did pick up one book that was interesting because it fits with our topic today. So um, it was called The Errancy of Scripture. Hmm. And it was written by a man who believed that the Bible is just a good book. Mm. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe I, and I kind of, you know, flipped through it to see what he was saying. And so in this book, The Errancy of Scripture, he was talking about even using Scripture to say that Scripture isn't good and right anymore. I thought, wait a minute here, this isn't right. I don't recommend that book. So don't go get that book. But it does fit with our topic. So um, let's get at our topic today. Are you ready, Dakota? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So when I was in high school, I took a high school English class my senior year. We did not have College Credit Plus or even honors classes at my high school. Did you have honors classes at your high school? I did. Yep. I took AP. You probably took all of them. Yeah. (laughs) You're a little younger than me. But um, so, you know, if you took senior English, it meant that you actually wanted to be an English major or something related to that. Um, or that at least you were heading off to college. Anyway, I took this class. It was a great class. I really enjoyed it. But one of the things we had to do is read 15 books throughout the year from this list the teacher gave us. And they were, and we had to write like five paragraph essays about each one. So it's kind of like a book report of mm-hmm. sorts. She had some more, you know, um, stipulations with it. But I remember when I got the list, it had tons of famous books on it, like um, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens or The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Um, by Fitzgerald, or To Kill a Mockingbird. Some were things I had already read. There was a book on there called German Ale, oh. but written by Emil Zola. Have oh, you ever heard of him? No, I have not. Okay, um, I picked this book. I don't know why. <laughs> it was a book. It was about a French town and mining community and about the relationships between the bourgeoisies. I had to actually write that out because I don't even know if I said that right. Bourgeoisie. There you go. See, I knew I didn't. Anyway, um, or the middle class, that's what they are, the working class. And uh, once we had a snowstorm, and 
okay, this is, this is, we're really, I'm really going off digressing here. But (laughs) at the time, my older brother was a teacher and he had not quite moved out of the house yet. I think it was his first teaching year. So he rented the upstairs of our house from my parents. And so when we had snow days, I was home, he was home. And my mom, who's a stay home mom was home. Anyway, it was a snowstorm. We were home from school. And so we were all, we'd been home probably three days. And you know, we lived in the country. It was boring. You know, there was not, there was, at this point, there was no YouTube. Okay. I just (laughs) want to make that clear. There was no computers. Um, you know, to do things. So you watch the, you know, TV if you wanted to right. anyway. And so we were all reading and my brother got this crazy idea that we should each read a page of our book out loud to each other. Mm. So it was very interesting. My, my brother read his sci-fi book. I actually <laughs> hate sci-fi. He loves it. I hate it. Um, my mother was reading some book on how to live for Christ, which, which probably was good, but, yeah. um, and I was reading this book for my class. It was just a very strange thing to do. We really laugh about it now, but it actually... It's a good memory to me. Yeah. A good memory. But anyway, okay. Wow. I got off track. Anyway, one of the books on the list from my high school English teacher's class was the Bible. Wow. I brought this list home from my teacher that my teacher had given to us the first day of class. And I remember sitting at the table and laughing with my mom about trying to read the Bible and then trying to write a five paragraph (laughs) essay about the Bible. I sort of wanted to do it though, because I thought that'd be a really cool way to share about the Bible. But At this point in my life, I had not read all the way through the Bible, and I just could not see myself being able to do that in that year and read 14 other books, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and nobody picked the Bible in my class. (laughs) It's interesting. I think my teacher just thought it was a great piece of literature, which we're going to talk about that today. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would start by asking you, Dakota, to give me some, your five-paragraph essay, okay, maybe even shorter, about the Bible. What is your condensed book report about the Bible? Do all the books connect or can we just pull them out separately? Yeah. um, So I would have been impressed if any of your uh, classmates had picked the Bible because that would have been a lot of reading that probably could have worked for all 15 of your books. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. And there is more than 15 books in the Bible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. um, So the Bible, um, just a brief overview, it's made up of 66 different books, which are divided between the Old and New Testaments. Um, the Old Testament has 39 of these books. It includes a lot of like narrative history, um, especially about the origin of the Jewish people and God's relationship with them over time. Um, and then God gave the Jews the law that he wanted them to follow. So that can be found in books of the Old Testament like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Um, there are also books of prophecy, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, books of wisdom, such as Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and then um, books of songs and poetry like the Psalms. And these Old Testament books, they were primarily written by Jews for a Jewish audience. Um, They're about God's covenant and his relationship with his chosen people. Okay. Um, And then the New Testament has 27 books, and these include the Gospels, um, which detail the life of Christ, his ministry here on earth, um, his death, his resurrection, all that. Um, And then there are books written by his disciples. Um, Many are written in like a letter format, and we would call those the epistles. And they talk about how Christians are to live as a response to Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Mm. Um, So these books are geared towards both Jews and Gentiles. They were written by both Jews and Gentiles. um, And they they detail the new covenant that God chose to make with all people, um, with whoever chooses to put their faith in Christ. Okay, good. You covered both old and new. Yep. All right. And then, so I would say uh, there is a common thread that connects the Old and New Testaments, and that common thread is Christ. Um, So even though, like, the physical human life of Christ is only recorded in the New Testament, um, from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, like, we can see how Christ and the promise of his saving the world from sin is constantly present, like, throughout 
all these stories. Hmm. Um, and I'll get into more detail about that later. But basically, the whole Bible is telling Christ's story and pointing to God's ultimate loving plan for the redemption of humankind. Um, and it describes like why we need a Savior in the first place, how God planned to send his only son for us since the beginning of history, really. Um, and it's also showing the relationship, like the dichotomy between the law God gave the people in the Old Testament with the person of Christ who came to fulfill the law. Hmm. Um, and honestly, that's a topic that you would probably need your, a whole new episode yes. to cover. So <laughs> I won't try to get too much into it, but um, I can't give a summary of the Bible without including that part as well. So obviously just really scratch the surface on that. <laughs> Again, yeah. would have been a very big, big uh, book re- report. But um, yeah, if I had to give a book report, I'd say generally that's what the Bible is about. And and you know what, Dakota? I would give you an A+. Plus. <laughs> you get A+, plus extra credit. You get AP points for that, well, right? thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, <clears throat> there's just a school of thought, though, that only part of the Bible is important. And that part of the Bible is the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's just easier to understand. You said it's written by like letters to people. I like letters, yeah. you know, and it feels like it's more comfortable. It's more easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the section of the Bible that actually highlights Jesus most. And we know Jesus is super important. So right. I guess I want to know, is the New Testament more important than the Old Testament? Can we just hang out in the New Testament? That'd be so much easier. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think it's important um, for us to kind of explore that question of like why people don't feel that it's important to study the Old Testament. Um, you kind of gave some examples, but um, a couple answers come to my mind. Um, and again, you kind of touched on them a little in your question. But the first thing I would say is like, I think people tend to shy away from the Old Testament because like you said, it isn't about Jesus. And since Jesus is like the foundation of our faith, um, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 3, why should we as Christians bother to study something that isn't about Jesus? Mm. Um, but as I mentioned before, like Christ is not just present in the New Testament, even though that's talking about his physical ministry here on earth. Um, he's present throughout the whole Bible. Um, there's, as an example, there's a passage in Genesis 3. Um, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned and eaten from the tree that God forbid them from forbid them to eat from. Um, and so God is cursing the serpent for deceiving Eve into eating the fruit. Um, and so in Genesis 3.15, God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Um, and this passage, it's actually not talking about humanity in general terms. Um, the seed of the woman that God mentions is actually referring to Christ. Mm. Um, so God's like basically saying, okay, you know, you guys screwed up. You brought sin and death into the world. Here's how I'm going to make it right. Mm. Um, and there are dozens of other allusions to Christ. Um, like this throughout the Old Testament, um, which again, we'll get into a little bit later. But um, as a Christian, it's really important for us to recognize that Jesus's story doesn't just start in the book of Matthew in right. the New Testament. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought of, I mean, maybe it's a silly illustration, but um, I really like superhero movies. Ooh. And uh, one of the things that's really big, like within superhero movies and like comic books, um, is this concept of the origin story. Oh, yeah. I um, hear my boys talk about that. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like how the hero got their powers, like why they chose to use their powers for good, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And so the Old Testament, it's basically Jesus's origin story. Um, So it explains why Christ needed to be sent to earth as a man Mm. to die for our sins in the first place. It shows us like what the state of the world was like before Christ made his physical appearance. Um, And just like a superhero is nothing without his origin story, it's really important for us as Christians to know Christ's origin story, which again begins at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And Jesus is way better than any oh, superhero. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Ultimate, ultimate yes, superhero. Yes, he is, yes. 
Yeah. Um, and then I think another reason why it's tempting for people to skip the Old Testament um, is because a lot of it seems to mainly be written for the Jews. And since you and I and probably most of your listeners are not Jewish, right, right. Um, I think it often seems irrelevant to us like as modern day Christians and not something that's worth our time, um, especially when it comes to like those you know, specific laws and rules I mentioned earlier. Yes. I just finished reading Leviticus numbers yes. and I'm in the middle of Deuteronomy. So I'm yep. very familiar. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of things like, you know, food laws and, you know, yeah. other specific rules that Jews had to follow. Um, but the Jewish law is the law that Christ came to fulfill. And again, it ties into his origin story. So to state it very briefly, because um, again, this is another topic we could go very deep on. Yes. Um, so God gave his people the law to show them how they are utterly incapable of saving themselves. Um, you know, how they are not able to keep that law perfectly and how the only way to have true salvation is through Christ, through a mm. Savior. Um, and even though we ourselves are not Jewish, we can learn a lot of lessons from this fact um, and from the Old Testament Jews uh, because their faith journeys often mirror ours. Um, mm. I mean, I think, you know, how many times do we as modern day Christians, you know, think that our works make us righteous? All the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> even though even time. though in our heads, like we know that salvation yep. only comes through God's grace. Um, you know, we often fall into the trap of thinking that if we do enough good works, somehow we add to our merit and righteousness. Um, and that's exactly what the Jews are wrestling with all the time. So while we live in the knowledge and reality of Christ's saving work, um, we are still fallen and human, just like the Old Testament Jews were. Hmm. And even though we're not Jewish, like there's still a lot we can learn from their stories. Um, and also, if God's plan for salvation began in the garden, like their story is part of our story because they came before us as God's chosen people. And it is only through his kindness to us that we also get to be counted as his chosen people mm. today. So we shouldn't discount Jewish history because it's actually applicable to us today in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's great. It's really good points, like the Old Testament being very Jewish focused. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't have that, you wouldn't understand the value of being a Gentile right. and how it's crossed over. Okay, exactly. keep going, because yeah. I know you have more to say, and I, I'm not, I don't want to take over your oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, no, you're good, yeah. Um, and then a third reason I thought of that, the reason that people don't like to study the Old Testament, um, and this one's kind of uncomfortable, but it's like people don't like the version of God that they get oh, portrayed in the Old Testament versus yes. the New Testament. Um, and I think maybe that's like part of what you meant in your question when you said the Old Testament is easier, because in the Old Testament, like, there are a lot of stories about God that do not line up with our image of a safe, loving, non-judgmental Jesus. Right. Um, and that can be hard and scary even to wrestle with. Because um, in the Old Testament, like we see God commanding whole nations to be wiped yes. out. Like we yep. see him send a flood yep. uh, to destroy humanity. Um, I just read about um, God opening the earth mm -hmm. because people were grumbling. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like there's hard passages like Genesis 6, 6 that says he was sorry he had created man. Mm. Um, so we see God who, you know, we see a God who's like angry and vengeful. And for many people, it's just a lot easier to focus on that John three sixteen God who so loved the world that he sent his only son, um, you know, and it's a lot easier to read about that than it is to read about a God who allows women and children to die in a massacre that he commanded. Yep. yep. Um, so I know some people like even believe that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. Um, that like as time went by, like the Old Testament God kind of like mellowed out. He became mm. more gentle, more kind towards people, you know, that he no longer had to be the rough and scary God. Um, and again, I'm kind of like opening up a topic that probably needs its own episode. But, <laughs> wow. um, but this, this should be a series. I know, Dakota. maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Um, but this thinking is simply not accurate or true of God's character. 
Um, Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And so even though it can be hard to wrestle with the God of the Old Testament, he is the same God then as he is now. And if we truly love him and wish to serve him and learn more about him, we can't just ignore the Old Testament because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And if you actually really look at the words of Jesus in the New Testament closely, I mean, you'll quickly see there are a lot of uncomfortable topics he talks about too, you know, casting people into outer darkness and the final judgment that's to come for those who do not humble themselves and seek salvation. Um, So if we actually seek to diligently know our God, then we'll start to see his love even in the midst of those hard stories. And we'll see how his honor and justice must be satisfied, even if it's in a way that our human minds find to be unnecessarily harsh. Hmm. Um, God and Christ are one and the same. They do not change. And we need to understand God's wrath and judgment if we're also to understand his love and grace. Hmm. Really, really helpful. Yeah. So I guess ultimately to answer your question, um, the Old Testament and the New Testament are both equally important because they're telling the story of Christ and ultimately God's plan for redemption of humanity. Um, It's not just some collection of Jewish history devoid of Christ. It plays a huge part in what we understand about our faith today. Um, And I would challenge any woman who's hesitant to get into the Old Testament that if we truly approach the Old Testament, just like any other book of the Bible, with an open heart and an understanding that it is the Word of God, um, I believe that that woman will gain great wisdom and a deeper love for God through her study Because ultimately, that is what it comes down to. Like, all scripture is God-breathed. So if we value the Bible as the Word of God, we'll take the time to study all of it, and we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work through us through that study. Hmm. And and I think that's helpful to think about because um, really, as I have read through the Bible, I think I'm on number nine or ten years reading through the Bible. Okay. And so as I have worked on, sometimes I don't get through it in a year. On a <laughs> yeah. side note, it sounds good to say that. But but you know what? As I've read through it, I learn something every single time. Mm-hmm. And I pick up things and go, oh, oh, I just made that connection. Yeah, know? right. So um, I think it's important to realize that the Bible is alive and active and mm-hmm. how both the Old Testament, New Testament fit. I love that. You did such a great job explaining that. Oh, thank you. You get an A plus on that one too. <laughs> All right. So, you know, Dakota, if someone who has never read anything in the Old Testament, you know, maybe they've just read Psalms and Proverbs because those are relatively common to read. Sure. Where do you think would even be a good place to start? Like what are some books you'd recommend for someone who wants to try to read the Old Testament? Um, yeah, honestly, I would say just start from the beginning in Genesis and read your way through it. Um, Or you can also find like a chronological Bible reading plan um, so that you can read each book in order as, you know, as historians believe the events actually happened. Um, And the reason I say that is because since the Old Testament is primarily historical, each event and historical moment is building off the one before it. Okay. Um, And so knowing the context for each of those events is really going to aid in understanding each passage as a whole. So like for someone who's just starting to read the Old Testament – Um, You know, if you start with, say, the prophets or the events of the Babylonian exile, like you're going to miss out on a lot of context as to what led the Jews to be in exile or to need prophecy in the first place. Um, You know, if you're reading passages about how the Jews failed to keep the law without first reading about what the law is and why God gave it to them, you know, then the first time reader is probably going to be confused or they're going to miss out on some key lessons from the passage because they aren't integrating that background information into the reading. So. Again, the Old Testament, it's basically one big story. Um, and so just like you would read any other story in order, I would say that's probably the best way to read the Old Testament for the first time as well. Well, and it makes me think of like in um, growing up years when you're learning about history, mm-hmm. you do not just study it one time. You might 
focus on an area like American history. Like mm-hmm. I think that's a sophomore thing right now. But then, you know, you might do world history. You might do, you know, um, ancient history. Like there's different parts that you'll study. But then eventually you go, whoa, I can see how these all connect together. Yeah. And of course, the Bible's actually hist- a part of that. Right. So what are some of the major players in the Old Testament? Just, you know, just an easy question. Yeah. <laughs> and why are they actually important? Yeah, no, that's that's another big question. Of, and there are lots and lots of people I could name. But um, I'll just give a, a brief description, just a, list a few people and, and give a brief description of why they're important. And this might be a great thing to use if you are thinking, oh, I want to know more about one mm-hmm. of these people. Then, you know, that might be helpful to be able to do some research on. You can even just focus on one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah for, for sure. a while. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, if we just go in chronological order, um, first of all, obviously, Adam and Eve are big Old Testament players. Yes. Um, not only because they were the first human beings, but also because, like we mentioned before, um, their sinful actions brought sin and death into the world, which basically sets up for every other conflict that happens yes. in the Bible. Yeah. Um, and then second, next, I would say Abraham. Um, he was the original patriarch of the Jewish people, and God promised that through him would come a great nation, which mm. we see unfold throughout Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament. And he's also a great example of faith. Um, he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews as being a man of great faith, so he's definitely someone who can serve as an example of faith for us today. Yes. Um, another important figure is Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who God renamed Israel, and he fathered the 12 sons who eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, so those are the 12 tribes that came to make up the entire Jewish nation. And can I just pause you for a minute? Yeah. I think one thing that's really helpful with all of these is if you are a mom with little kids, there are lots of songs that highlight these people. I, I remember um, we had a song growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, by a guy named Jamie Souls, and you could probably find him on YouTube. And the song was, What Are the Names of the Patriarchs? Mm. And it was just the names of the patriarchs. Now, did my four-year-old singing that know who all these people were? Right. You know, Abraham, <laughs> Isaac, Jacob. Yeah. And then he had 12 sons. Didn't know, but boy, that comes back later to help you. Yeah. So like those ki- those are so simple things to, to catch up mm-hmm. on and know. And if you're a mom, music's a great way. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, keep going. So we, we got Abraham. Now who's next? Um, yeah, so Abraham, Jacob, and then next um, is Moses, and he um, is personally one of my favorite Bible characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's important to the Old Testament for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, he served as the leader of the Israelites. He helped lead them out of slavery from Egypt. Um, and then God also gave him the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law to give to the people. Um, and then he's also important because he wrote at least five books of the Old Testament that we know of. Um, so specifically the first five books, which is Genesis to Deuteronomy. And then next, if we jump forward a few hundred years, we have David. Um, He was definitely a very important figure, not just for the Jewish people, but also he's an important character for us today. Um, He was one of the first kings of Israel. He brought peace to Israel through his many victories against foreign enemies. Um, But he's also the ancestor of Jesus. Mm. Um, And then he also wrote many of the songs, uh, like in the book of Psalms. Um, which I feel like a lot of Christians, like we mentioned, are familiar with yeah. Um, yeah. and take comfort from. So he authored many of those. And then finally, um, again, even though I could keep going on and list a lot of other people, because um, there are many fascinating stories throughout the Old Testament, uh, I would say the prophet Isaiah um, is another important figure because he made a lot of prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus, um, like who he would be what and what his life would be like. 
Um, and one of the ways we can know that Jesus is the true Messiah is because his life fulfilled every single prophecy made about him. Um, so we have Isaiah to thank for many of those. Okay, so yeah, the um, the song that I told you earlier, I mm-hmm. just actually looked it up and it's on Spotify. So I'm going to link oh, that nice. in our show notes because um, Jamie Souls is an, an author and there's a lot, or not an author, he's not an author. <laughs> Let me start that over. Jamie Souls is a musician and he writes music. And a lot of what he writes is right from scripture. So that particular song, I mean, my kids, if they're listening, my girls particularly, <laughs> they would know it and be yeah. able to sing it for you. Um, and I think that's a great way to, to teach our kids about the Old Testament mm-hmm. is through music too. Um, it's interesting you bring up Isaiah at the end because he is kind of a big major player mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. But I really have more questions about this because I've heard about these prophecies mm-hmm. foretelling that Jesus is coming or prophecies that speak of things that are going to happen in the New Testament. So really, I want to know what are some of the most important prophecies and how were they fulfilled in the New Testament? Yeah, that's a great question. It's um, another episode we could probably do. It really is. <laughs> Again, just kind of um, scratching the surface on it. Um, yeah, so there are definitely a lot of different prophecies talked about in both the Old and New Testaments. So in the Old Testament specifically, um, some of these prophecies are given by God directly to an individual or a group, um, such as when God promises to Abraham in Genesis 17 that he will have a son named Isaac in mm-hmm. his old age. Um, or these prophecies are spoken through messengers appointed by God, either by angelic beings or by humans. Um, and a lot of these prophecies are related to Christ, and they predict events that he fulfilled from the beginning of his life all the way to his death and resurrection. Um, so I'll start with one of my personal favorite prophecies, uh, which is found in Genesis 49.10. Um, so we talked a little bit about Jacob and his 12 sons. And in this passage, Jacob is on his deathbed. And he is actually prophesying about what will happen to each one of his sons. And when he gets to his son Judah, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Um, So this prophecy is saying that the line of Judah will be a line of kings until the ultimate king, who is Jesus, um, comes and commands the obedience of all people. And so the reason I like this prophecy is because my son's name is Shiloh, mm. and we actually picked his name because of this passage. Mm. Um, so it's believed, and I think we can see that you know, from the context of this passage, that Shiloh is another term for Messiah, um, so specifically the coming Messiah. And so we chose the name Shiloh as a reminder that we today are also awaiting the second coming of mm. Christ our Messiah when he returns to bring in his new kingdom. So so there's a little fun fact. If you know my son, that's where his name comes from. Were you reading Were you reading that passage when you were found out you were pregnant? Um, I think we were, yeah. Yeah. Or before that. Yeah. We, we like to go read through the Bible and find fun names. Yeah. And that was one that And that's why out. I have a Joshua and a Daniel in there you my go. home because I was reading in those in about those stories yep. and thought, I like these guys. This yep. is good. And Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we get to, there's the prophecies about... Christ's birth, um, and we often hear these talked about around like Christmas time. Yes, yes, these um, are more common. Yeah, you might hear these more yeah. Common. Um, so Isaiah seven four talks about like how Christ would be born of a virgin. Um, Micah five two says that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, um, and as Hosea eleven one prophesied how Christ would be forced to flee to Egypt after his birth, and then return after the death of King Herod. Hmm. Um, and then we have prophecies about Christ's ministry. Um, so one important one is found in Isaiah eight fourteen. Um, It says he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Um, So this is referring to how Christ like challenged the incorrect beliefs and ideas of the Jewish people Mm -hmm. and showed how their supposed righteous actions weren't actually honoring to God. Yeah. Um, So there's that one. We also have Isaiah 1110. 
Um, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. So obviously this is a big one for us as non-Jewish people because Christ came to extend salvation not just to his chosen people, the Israelites, um, but to all people, including Mm -hmm. us. And so Isaiah made that prophecy about 700 years before it actually happened, Yeah, Yeah. which is incredible. Yes, yes. Um, And then... Um, we have the prophecies about Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, so some of the events of the book of Jonah actually predict Christ's resurrection because Jonah is buried in the belly of the whale for three days and then resurrected on the third day. Um, so this is a big one, uh, you know, because without Christ's resurrection, our faith yeah. is null and void. That's right. Um, and then I think a really big one that um, is important to highlight because uh, this is kind of one of those uncomfortable concepts that um, is being challenged in Christian circles today is Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, um, and that says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, so I just want to talk about this one. Um, because, like I mentioned, it falls into the category of one of those like uncomfortable passages that we don't like to talk about. Um, there's kind of this idea among Christians today that says like that God would never punish His innocent Son for the sins of the world. Mm. Um, I think there's like the term cosmic child abuse. Um, mm, you know, I've heard that, of that before. Yeah, that's saying like for God to punish Jesus for no reason because He was innocent. You know how that's like that would be abusive and wouldn't line up with God's character. Um, so people will say instead that God or that Jesus like died more as a model to us of what love looks like mm. or as a way to heal our relationship with God without actually being the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Um, and I've actually had conversations with people about this issue. Um, and I've brought up Isaiah 53 to demonstrate that God actually or Christ actually was punished for our sins. Um, God did actually lay the punishment of the world on him um, and he was chastised on our behalf. Hmm. Um so I, sorry, that it goes a little off topic, but I, I think, you know, there are going to be passages and prophecies in the Old Testament that, again, are going to be hard to wrestle with that aren't initially going to sit well with us. And this is definitely one of them. Mm. Um, but it, again, it's so important for us to wrestle with these things that we don't understand, you know, to examine them and to ask questions. And that's why I think that this is an important prophecy to talk about, because, again, when it comes to Christ, like you can't get more important than his atoning work on our behalf. Yeah, it's interesting what you told me about this idea of cosmic child abuse sort of makes me think of like softening what Christ did. Right. And it's it's also came up recently in a conversation I had a couple times with different people on the topic of hell mm, and how yeah. easy it is to soften hell, to make us think, you know, less of hell or to make it be easier. Mm-hmm. But the reality is Christ died for our sins. Right. And, you know, he took the punishment upon himself. And I think that's such a good point you make. And it's interesting how these things are not, it's not like um, these issues are not like out in the, in the world. They're actually sometimes in our, in churches. Yes. Yeah. So we do need to be always thinking and discerning and going back to scripture, which mm-hmm. is actually what you did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And th- those conversations that I've had, like have been with, you know, Christians yeah. who, you yeah. know, again, it's, it is uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, so... Again, with these prophecies, like it's it's an extensive topic. Um, for anyone who would like more examples, I I just did a Google search for prophecies of Christ, and I found one article that listed like I think it was like fifty five different Old Testament prophecies, and that was not even an exhaustive list. Mm, um, yeah. So you can definitely, for anyone who's interested, 
um, there are definitely more resources out there that you can explore yeah. these prophecies for yourself. Yeah. Okay. So really the question though, that's good. I appreciate that's a lot of work <laughs> that you did putting that together, but why are prophecies even important? Mm-hmm. Like, why should I even care about this? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a good question. Um, well, for one thing, um, I kind of mentioned this before, but prophecies, um, they add credibility to Christ because he fulfilled every single prophecy made about the Messiah. Um, I believe there were over 300 individual prophecies that were made about Christ. So we got to mention some, but again, prophecies, these are made like yeah, hundreds of years. we didn't do all 300. <laughs> no, no, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> that would be 300 individual episodes, I yeah, think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, these are prophecies that were made like hundreds of years before his life. And so the probability of him fulfilling every single one of them is almost statistically impossible. Um, I, actually, I actually heard an analogy about the probability once. Um, so like imagine you took the entire state of Texas and you covered the state in like foot tall stacks of quarters. Okay. And imagine one of those billions of quarters and all those millions of stacks was painted red. Um, the probability of Christ fulfilling every single prophecy that was made about him is the same as you walking through all of those stacks of quarters and reaching down and randomly picking up the one quarter that wow. was red, um, which is like practically impossible. Yes, yes. Um, So there should be no doubt in our minds that Christ was the Messiah Mm. because no other man has come remotely close to fulfilling all the prophecies that Christ did. Um, And these weren't any like vague predictions either, like the kind you might find in a horoscope that, you know, when you read them, it really could apply to anybody. Right. Um, These predictions were very specific. They were direct and they had to be fulfilled in a very specific way. Um, And the fact that we have documentation and eyewitness accounts that testify to the fulfillment of these prophecies um, just further authenticates who Christ was. And it should give us so much confidence about who we're putting our faith in. Um, Because not only was fulfillment of prophecy confirmation to the people of Jesus' day about who he was, um, it's also confirmation for us now. And we can have assurance about Christ's identity because of what his life accomplished. So for me, fulfillment of prophecy, um, again, it's one of the biggest proofs that our faith is legitimate. Um, You know, we don't follow a religion based on nonsense or predictions that never come true. Amen. Um, There's this podcast I like to listen to sometimes that talks about like different cults that Mm -hmm. were, you know, throughout history. Um, And very often cult cult leaders like will make predictions, um, you know, about when the end of the world will be or different prophecies about future events. Um, And almost always they are dead wrong about (laughs) these predictions. Um, If they're lucky and happen to get something right, you know, they rarely get it right more than once or twice. Yeah. Um, But again, the Old Testament predictions are correct over 300 times. That's crazy. Yeah. So again, um, you know, we can have assurance that our faith is real. You know, our Savior is real. Our God is real. Um, Everything that we are basing our faith on has legitimacy. Um, And I think if we know about the Old Testament prophecies and are familiar with them, um, that's a very strong defense for why we believe what we believe. Um, and our world, you know, is constantly challenging our beliefs about yes. God and, and Jesus. So it is important for us to avail ourselves of every possible defense we have in defending our faith. And so that's why I think it's important to care about prophecy and to take the time to study these prophecies and to see how Christ fulfills them. Yeah, that is really helpful because um, that's the reason we want another really important reason to read the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Because as I read, I can see 
prophecies that come forth. I'm still I'm still stuck in some areas where I have to do some research. Yes, like, for sure. Sometimes I have to go further and I have to look into a commentary or I have to listen to a sermon that helps mm-hmm. me understand because sometimes those prophecies are given and you don't understand all the um the cultural things. I have to learn the cultural yeah. thing, how that actually why that actually like wait, wait a minute, what do you mean? Lay on your left side. What is that? You know, <laughs> right. whatever the, the prophecy or what you know what they're telling what God's telling people to do. So it's just good to to see those things. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Okay, um, just another easy question. <laughs> I love I love how you laugh a little bit because yeah. I gave you all the easy questions, Dakota. <laughs> what is a type of Christ? I've heard that. So what does it mean? And I want you to give me some examples of Christ in the Old Testament. Sure, yeah. Um, so we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier too. But um, So one of the definitions I found when I was researching this question says that a type is an impression made by a person, an object, or an event in the Old Testament that foreshadows the coming of the Messiah in his person and or his work. Um, so basically a type emulates some attribute of Christ that points ahead to his coming. Um, and we can see many examples of this throughout the Old Testament. Um, like I kind of touched on like Judah, you know, being... Yes. Um, through his prophecy that uh, Jacob gave to him. But um, so specifically when I thought about this, I thought about the attributes of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Um, and so we actually have been learning about this in our small group studies this year mm-hmm. at church. Um, we're going through the book of Hebrews. And so basically a prophet is someone who brings the word of God to the people. A priest interse- intercedes between the people and God. And then a king rules and has authority over the people. Um, so obviously we know that Christ fulfills all of these descriptions, but in the Old Testament we can see other people who also fulfill these roles in a similar way that Christ did, and you know thereby pointing ahead to who he was. Okay. Um, so an example of a person who served as a prophet, similar to Christ, um, someone, again, I already mentioned, that is Moses. Um, Moses served as God's mouthpiece to the people of Israel, relaying to them the law that God wanted his people to follow. Um, different rules for the institution of the tabernacle, the priesthood, different types of sacrifices, um, among other things, were all told to Moses by God. And then Moses shared these things with the Israelites. Um, Moses spoke of the things that God wanted his people to know. And in the same way, Christ also shared the teachings of his father with the people. But um, Christ fulfilled this role in a more perfect way than Moses because while Moses had to go up to Mount Sinai or to the tabernacle in order to hear God's messages, Jesus perfectly knew the heart and will of his father and performed his job as a prophet without sin. Hmm. Um, and Moses himself actually speaks about how he's a type of Christ. Um, this is found in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This accords with what happened at Horeb in the day of the assembly. You asked the Lord your God, please do not make us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this great fire anymore lest we die. The Lord then said to me, what they have said is good. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them whatever I command. I will personally hold responsible anyone who then pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name. Um, so again, this is referring to Christ. And so we can see from this how Moses serves as a type of Christ um, as that foreshadowing of the perfect prophet to come. And I think, um, I know you have much more to tell us about this, but um, I think when you start to see these, then you start to see them in the Old Testament. As mm-hmm. I have read, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, this yeah. is a type of Christ, so to speak. So, okay, good. Okay, so that one was um, a prophet. Yep. Okay. All right. And then, so the next one would be priest. Um, so 
back in the Old Testament times, a priest was a person who offered sacrifices on behalf of the people um, to cleanse them of their sins. And they interceded between God and man, but because of their fallenness and sin nature, um, they could never perform this duty adequately. So Hebrews 7, uh, 23 through 28, compares these priests with Christ. Um, and Christ, as we know, is our ultimate high priest. But it says, Now there have been many of those priests since death, preventing them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, mm-hmm. set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Uh, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Um, so again, we see how the priests of the Old Testament, through their God-appointed roles, um, pointed ahead to Christ. Like they performed the work that Christ does, but again, they did it imperfectly. And so this illustrates, you know, through their imperfection, how desperately humanity needed that true mm. and sufficient Messiah and intercession or mm. intercessor for us um, between us and God. Mm. Um, and also speaking of the priests, so they would offer animal sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. Right, um, right. And Christ is often in Scripture described as a sacrificial lamb. Yep. Um, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says of Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as we know, Christ also performed this role perfectly by being the ultimate mm. sacrifice for sin um, that only needed to be offered once to cover the sins of all those who put their faith in him. So um, there's an example of a type of Christ that isn't a human. It's actually symbolized by an animal. Yeah, and praise God for that little paragraph that you <laughs> that you shared because, wow, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Yes. He is. Behold the lamb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I also mentioned Christ as king um, mm. and as authority over us. And no one fits the role of king in the Old Testament better than King David. Yes. Um, David was described as being a man after God's own heart, and he truly sought to rule the people of Israel in a way that was pleasing to God. Jeremiah um, describes what this kingly role looks like in Jeremiah Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. He says, I, the Lord, promise that a new time will certainly come when I will raise up for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David. He will rule over them with wisdom and understanding and will do what is just and right in the land. Under his rule, Judah will enjoy safety and Israel will live in security. This is the name he will go by. The Lord has provided us with justice. Um, So David had the qualities that Jeremiah talks about, but still... He was a fallen man mm-hmm. and often sinned very grievously, which we um, you can read about in the Old yes. Testament in books of First and Second Samuel if you're yes. interested. Um, but once again, we see how Jesus serves as a perfect king who rules without sin or corruption. Um, David was just a shadow of the future king that was to come, but he also demonstrates why we need that perfect king to rule over our lives. Hmm. Um, and finally, just for fun, in my definition of a Christ type. Just for fun. Just I love for that. fun. Um, I mentioned that sometimes events can be a type of Christ. Um, so an example of this can be found in Genesis 22. That's the story of Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, which foreshadows how God gave his only son as a sacrifice for us a few hundred years later. And then in that story, God provides a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. So that's another reference to Christ's sacrifice for us as a sacrificial lamb. Wow. I just want to pause because, wow. that's <laughs> So I love how you brought out the prophet, priest, and king. And and I think um, at different stages in my life, I have had a, I always have a notebook when I read, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be writing down things. And I think 
Um, there was a couple a couple seasons of my life where I had like a, a, a running list of the prophet, priest, and king concept in the Old Testament as I read. Mm-hmm. Someone somewhere uh, taught me that idea, and it is it is so helpful to kind of see where Jesus shows up and the roles that he plays. Yes, yeah. for sure. And you're right. We're studying Hebrews here at Christ the Word in our small groups, mm-hmm. and boy, you really you want to learn about the new t- the Old Testament in something in the New Testament? Go mm-hmm. read Hebrews. Yeah. Right? <laughs> How many references back to the Old Testament oh, have we had? Many, many, yes. many. And so, and we're not even done with it. And, right. and that's not even just Hebrews 11. That's mm-hmm. the whole book. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about something that I find to be extremely overwhelming. Okay. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> um, I have read through the Bible 10, mm-hmm. 11 times in I always get to the major, well, particularly the minor prophets. I, I kind of get the major prophets more, but the minor prophets, I get kind of stuck. Mm. Um, and I've really enjoyed it when our pastor has preached on those or yeah. if I read a commentary. But how can how can the average person understand these books? They just seem to be super dis- difficult and actually kind of mysterious, okay? Yeah. <laughs> how should we go about reading these to understand? Um, yeah, well, if I'm being honest, the prophets are difficult for me too. Um, and I think for, for most Christians, um, it can often feel like unless you're some theological scholar, like right. there's no way you're really going to be able to understand them. Um, and that might be true, but that doesn't mean that we're exempt from reading them or that they're any less important than the easier books of the Bible. Um, again, if we believe that all of Scripture is given to us by God, then we have to accept that these tougher books are given to us too and serve a purpose for our lives. Um, we might need to read them multiple times in order to get something from them, or we might need to read commentaries and works by those theological scholars who do have a better understanding of them um, in order to help our own understanding. But ultimately, if that's what it takes to help us engage with these passages, um, then I think that extra work will definitely pay off. Um, to quote a prophet, Isaiah fifty five eleven says that God's word does not return void. Mm. Um, so even if we don't fully comprehend what we're reading, Studying God's word is never a waste of time. Mm. Um, So just to clarify for those who might not know, uh, the books of the prophets, they come more towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, They often seem to be directed at the Jewish people, although there are some prophets who spoke to other nations as well. Um, And when we say major and minor prophets, all that really refers to is like the length of the book written by the prophet. Oh, so it's not based on who's more important. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like the major in the minor leagues. Right, (laughs) right. No, um, no. So like Isaiah... His works are a lot longer, um, yeah. so he'd be considered a major prophet. And then, like minor prophets, an example would be Amos, who his writing was significantly shorter. Yeah. So okay. that's all that really means. Um, now, most of these prophets did come to make prophecies about, or sorry, should say they did not come to make prophecies about wonderful things to come. Um, rather, their prophecies were a call to the people um, to repentance and to warn them of the wrath of God that was to come if they did not turn from their sinful ways. And one of the big themes throughout the Old Testament is this idea of God's people turning away from him and choosing to worship false idols instead, which obviously violates God's honor and justice. And so God often sent prophets to warn the people against such behavior. And then when the people didn't repent, um, it was the prophet's job to share how God would punish them Mm -hmm. for their disobedience. Um, And this punishment often involved the Israelites getting attacked by other nations and in some cases even captured and taken from their homeland. I know whenever I read the stories of the of the Israelites, I think, come on, you guys. <laughs> right. But how often I do the same thing. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, it's just not an I'm not getting attacked by a nation. <laughs> right. right. Different different attacks in different yes. ways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and like we mentioned before, I mean it can often be hard for us to wrestle with this concept of an angry God. Um 
And that's a theme that, again, it comes up time and again in the prophets. But by God sending the prophets to warn the people of the danger to come, like, we actually see God demonstrating love for his people. Um, Like, he didn't have to send any sort of warning or call to repentance. He could have just destroyed everyone the moment they stepped out of line and turned to other gods. But instead, he sends his prophets to try and get the people to turn away from their sin. Um, He gives them chance after chance to repent and return to him, which shows just how loving and patient he truly is. And unfortunately, the prophets were rarely rarely listened to, um, which I'm sure made their job very difficult and depressing. Yes. Um, but they did what God called them to do, even though it was difficult, because their hearts broke for the people and for the fact that they were turning their backs on the loving Father who had given them so much. Yeah, what a, what a great way to talk about the prophets and about God in that. I mean, that's so helpful, Dakota, because it's easy to look at them as these passages or these mm-hmm. books in the in the New Testament or the Old Testament and think, oh, I got to read this again. But looking yeah. for how God is being merciful mm-hmm. might be our view, like looking at who God is and how his attributes come out in, mm-hmm. in those. That makes me think like I want to go home and read them. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's helpful. And I think it's interesting too, like how often his mercy is extended, not just to his people, but yeah. like to other nations as well. Yes. I think that's fascinating yeah. to read yeah. about too. Um, so now you asked why it's important for us to read these prophets today. Right, right. I want to know that because yeah. I should read them. Tell me why. <laughs> um, so they, again, they teach us so many important truths about who God is and about who we are as his people. Um, like we mentioned, like we too fall away and break God's heart. Like we too turn to worthless idols in our daily lives. Um, and like we said, like we might not be getting dragged off into captivity like the Israelites were, but it is important for us to remember that our sins have consequences and mm. that it's only when we repent and turn from those sins that we can receive salvation from God's wrath. Um, and God, again, is so loving and gracious to us, just as he was loving and gracious to the Israelites. But again, he is a God of justice, and he will not allow us to stand before him in, in our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, for those of us who put our faith in Christ, his blood, blood covers us and delivers us from God's wrath. Um, but it's so important to remember that we are no better than the Jews at that time. You know, that we, we still need to be living lives that pursue holiness, too, rather than the things of the world. That's just a really good application today because we can sit here and talk all day, Dakota, about the Bible and Mm -hmm. theology and all the characters in the Old Testament. But if we're not applying it, then it's it's just for naught, right? It's not valuable to us. So really the key is what you just said. We need to be living lives that pursue holiness. And the Bible is the direction, but we got to actually put feet to that direction. Yeah. Um, And I think something the prophets also teach us is that when someone comes to us and confronts us with our sin, it is really important that we be willing to hear. Um, Because again, the Israelites often were not willing to hear. Hmm. Um, And so having to face your sin is never a fun thing to do. But um, that's why God gives us Christian brothers and sisters. It's one of the reasons is to help us guide, you know, help to guide us away from our sin. And often it greatly benefits us to listen to godly counsel and to heed the words of those who love God Um, and people who also love us and want to see us repent and live righteous lives again. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps us to listen to them. Yes. Um, Good point. Yeah, again, so uh, there is a lot of depth to the major and minor prophets, again, more than I've been able to state here. But um, anyone who's just starting to read them, I would encourage you to read them to learn about God and about the grave seriousness of sin. And... Again, you aren't going to understand everything in just one reading. Um, It is something you'll probably have to keep studying and coming back to your whole Christian life. But God has given us these books for a reason. 
And it's only going to benefit us if we take the time to study them and to try to glean all that we can from them. Okay, good, good. This is so helpful. And I think really my purpose behind this um, particular episode wasn't really all of the, um, you know, the theological end of it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I actually really like that. I think we should know that, like, we should be aware of it. But I really loved how you brought out, and you just keep pointing us back, it's going to change us. Mm-hmm. It should change us, right? Yes, for sure. One of my favorite things that I own is a timeline for the Bible. Mm, yeah. It's just this little piece of, like, plastic paper. And, um, okay, laminated, that sounds funny, <laughs> plastic paper. And it's just really great to see what was going on. And I'm a huge fan of history. I love to read about history. I love to hear about history. I like documentaries about history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one part of it's really cool. It tells you what's happening in the world, and then it tells you what's happening in the Bible. Mm. And I really love this because I like being able to make connections. For example, the Mayans of Mesoamerica were happening around 1000 BC, and so was Eli the priest of Shiloh in 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, and also, did you know that Homer, who wrote the Iliad and Odyssey, was alive when Jonah was? Oh, wow. Like, I didn't know these things. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years or so after Paul's third missionary journey, that's when Mount, Suvi- Mount Vesuvius erupted on Pompeii. Mm. But this is but this is the thing that I love. So tell me about whether the Bible is real history, because it tells us where they go together. Why is connecting history, real history in the world, to the Bible important? Mm-hmm. And what are some of those examples? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's. I think you actually uh, loaned us that timeline. I did, I think uh, I did. <laughs> a while ago, yeah, and I remember it was really fascinating to kind of look through. Um, but yes, to answer your question, the Bible is real history. Um, it was written by real historical people about real historical events. Um, and like I mentioned in my overview of the Bible at the top of the episode, um, there are different types of writing in Scripture, and so some of these writings aren't necessarily historical, such as works of poetry, um, but these sections still have historical context and connect to other historical biblical events that make up the greater part of the Bible. Um, So this is an important truth for us to recognize because the world around us does everything it can to reduce the Bible down to a set of like interesting moral stories or just a bunch of metaphors that conveniently cover up the parts of scripture that we feel like we can't necessarily reconcile with world history. Um, So an example of this would be the creation story. Um, So I think we're constantly being taught um, by the world and by scientists that the earth is millions of years old and evolution is real and provable. Um, And often Christians don't know how to argue with that, um, you know, with what so-called experts are saying. Um, So many choose to take the seven-day account of creation and view it as like a metaphor rather than being factual. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or they just choose not to take any stance on it um, since what we believe on this issue about creation doesn't really affect our salvation in any way. So, like, why bother trying to answer the Mm. question? Um, but that's actually a dangerous way of thinking because if the very first chapter of the Bible is untrue or just a metaphor, like how can we say that the rest of the Bible isn't also untrue or just a metaphor? Um, and that's not to say that the Bible doesn't use metaphors or symbols, um, such as like we see in the examples of Christ's parables. Um, these are stories Christ used to symbolize spiritual truths. Um, but it does mean that a biblical writer presents, if, if a bi- biblical writer presents an event as really happening, then we need to trust that it really happened as they said it did. Mm. Um, And I think it's often the case that people are afraid to dig deep into these questions because they're afraid that the Bible is going to be proved untrue or is going to be found inadequate or, you know, in some way. Um, But if we don't dig deep, um, we won't be able to trust that the Bible is fully historically accurate. And so that means the structure of our faith is going to start to buckle, um, especially when under the attacks of worldly logic and wisdom. Right. Right. Um, Good. 
Yeah. So overall, I think connecting history to the Bible is important because when we recognize that the Bible is historically true, um, we then have an ethical obligation to respond to that truth. Um, so if the life, death, and resurrection of Christ did not actually happen, there's really no moral reason for us to respond to the gospel in any way. Um, just in the same way, like, we would have no moral obligation to change our lives after hearing, like, a fable, like the tortoise and the hare or something. Sure, sure. Um, we would have no reason to completely change our lives to become followers of Christ because it would be silly to completely dedicate ourselves to something that doesn't actually have any historical validity. Um, but the Bible is historical, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ did happen. And so because of that, like we now have an ethical obligation to respond to the gospel and to fully give ourselves to following Christ. Um, the Bible is a life-changing text, but it would be far less life-changing if the events it talked about didn't actually happen. So by acknowledging the historicity of Scripture, um, we are then presented with the fact that the gospel is true. We will be required to respond to this truth either by completely giving our lives to mm -hmm. God or by rejecting him. Um, but whichever response we choose, we have to recognize that that choice will have consequences, mm. um, either good or bad, right. because Scripture, again, is real, historical, provable, and unwavering under the world's skepticism. Yeah, I'm also, yes, amen, and 100% true. The Bible is, and um, that's like a backward sentence. The Bible <laughs> is 100% true, and I'm loving that you use the word, I can't even know if I say it, his, historicity. Historicity, <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I, I I, mean, yeah, that's so important. I love how you brought out that if we don't really believe the Bible being true we and, you know, we can't believe it, then it, it, does, it wouldn't change our life. Right. We, it, it, the Bible changes our lives. Mm -hmm. God's word changes it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, having like a good understanding of history when we read scripture, it can really help us um, and provide us with like some context. Um and like you mentioned, that's why like knowing how world history fits with biblical yeah. history is is helpful. Um, so I was thinking of an example of this. My husband actually helped me come up with this one. But um, in First Corinthians twelve three, Paul well, uses. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank Nate. you, Nate. Yes, he helped me with a lot of this. But uh, um, Paul uses the phrase "Jesus is Lord." Um, so to our modern ears, that phrase doesn't seem out of the ordinary. But back in Paul's time, um, the only person you would mm -hmm. refer to as Lord was Caesar. Sure. So to use the title of Lord for anyone else probably would have been pretty scandalous uh, for Paul's audience to hear. Um, but knowing that piece of history and adding it to our understanding of this passage, that adds some clarity and context that we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Um, another example would be, um, and Julie, you probably recognize this one from the Women's Bible Study we're doing this year <laughs> on Jesus's parables. Um, but in Luke 18, uh, there is a parable about a proud Pharisee and a humble tax collector. Mm. Um, now, again, in our day and age, we might compare a tax collector to maybe like an IRS agent. You right, know, right. someone sure. you maybe don't like interacting with, but otherwise a normal, hardworking citizen like right. any of us. Um, but tax collectors in those days were actually considered to be like as low down on the totem pole as like a prostitute or a drunk. Um, they were Jews who betrayed their people by working for the Romans and by creating higher taxes so that they could make extra profit off their neighbors. Um, so in this parable, Jesus commends the tax collector as being justified before God because he recognized his sin, which would have been absolutely mind-blowing for his audience mm -hmm. to hear, um, yep. to consider someone like so low as being right with God while an upstanding, respected leader in the Jewish community is considered to be sinful and wicked in his pride, like that would have been a completely backwards way of thinking for the Jews. Um, and yet this concept is at the very heart of the gospel. And so, again, understanding that little part of history, right. I think, helps make the story more real and accessible to us today. 
um, comparing the Bible with history and having some knowledge about historical context can really give us a, rich, a richer reading of Scripture um, and a deeper understanding of some of the context or concepts that might look different for us today. Yeah, and one thing about that that I remember in studying that passage or any of the passages that we've studied this this like winter semester in Bible study, mm-hmm. because we're studying different parables every week, is I would not know all that information, but it's really helpful to read a commentary or because that helps us to pick up those little pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's a great place to get. I mean, good. You got to go to good guys who are writing this commentary. Yeah. So you got <laughs> to be careful. Got to be careful for sure. Um, but I think that's helpful to realize we don't have to, we're not going to necessarily pick that up from the passage. Right. Yeah. But so, so studying a little bit about the history of the time period or whatever actually helps us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then to kind of flip this idea, because I just like described how knowing world history can inform our reading of the Bible, um, knowing the Bible can also inform our understanding of world history. Um, so in a very practical sense, if we look at the works of archaeologists and anthropologists um, whose jobs it is to bring to light things that like happen throughout history, yeah. um, we can see that there is a lot of evidence that points to the fact mm-hmm. that the events and the places and the people recorded in the Bible are actually real and yep. not just made up as part of a story. Um, so biblical places like Ur and Jericho and Nineveh, they've all actually been discovered by archaeologists, and they all can be dated and matched up with their specific times in history. Um, And ancient documents have also been found that support the occurrence of biblical events like um, the Babylonian exile and Noah's flood. Uh, And more and more evidence is being discovered all the time that proves that the Bible is historically accurate. Um, I found a quote by a famous archaeologist. I had not heard of him before, but his name is Professor Nelson Gluick. Um, And he said, I have excavated for 30 years with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. And in matters of historical perspective, I have never found the Bible to be in error. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really cool. Um, and it's a really powerful testimony to the inerrancy and historical validity of Scripture. Um, and I think it's important to remember that. And the more we study God's word, the more we will see how God proves his word again and again. And we'll see how well it does hold up against worldly criticism. Um, so we don't need to be afraid to compare the Bible to world history or science because God's word is true and all sufficient. And we can trust that it is going to withstand the hardest questions or scrutiny. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Really helpful. And as we're studying and reading the Bible, I think this episode in particular is helpful because, you know, sometimes we can get going in Deuteronomy reading <laughs> yes. right now, or we're reading in, a, in the Minor Prophets, or, mm-hmm. we're, or we're reading something that's hard to understand. And I think one of the things we have to do is have perseverance as we read Yeah, and keep going mm-hmm. and being involved in a Bible study or a small group and being in your Sunday morning service and worship and maybe listening to a sermon by good guys on during the week. You know, these are all ways that we just keep our, our biblical literacy going. Mm-hmm. I heard recently, um, I don't even remember where I heard this, but the concept of the problem with our current age is a lack of biblical, it's biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. That's what it really is, the yeah. lack of literacy. That doesn't sound right, but you know what I mean. Yeah. People are just not reading their Bibles, so they don't mm-hmm. know how to deal with things. And I think this is really helpful to us mm-hmm. to kind of be be pushed a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so going along with that idea, why does this all matter? I mean, maybe the Bible is that good piece of literature that my high school teacher said. Mm-hmm. Like, why does the Bible matter? What does it mean to us personally? Yeah. Um, so like I've kind of been mentioning throughout this podcast, like the Bible is God's word to us. 
It contains everything we need to know about how to live out our faith, how to understand our sin, how to have salvation, and just how to walk with Christ day by day. Um, If you want to live a Christian life and follow after the Lord, then you need to know what his word says and how it applies to you. Um, So we kind of mentioned before, like, I am a foster parent, and before my husband and I were able to become licensed foster parents, we had to go through a couple months of training. Um, So we were trained on all sorts of different topics, and we actually still have to participate in regular training sessions even now so that we can maintain our license. Um, But basically, like, these training sessions teach us how to be good foster parents, how we can best help those kids who come into our care. Um, They teach us about, you know, the foster care system itself and about different resources available to us in case we need help. Um, And they also teach us about the rules of foster care, so things we're allowed to do, things we aren't allowed to Mm. do. And so in the same way that we wouldn't be allowed to be foster parents without going through that training, you really can't be a follower of Christ if you don't receive the training that the Bible has to offer. Um, In the same way that I want to be an effective foster parent who is making a difference um, and who knows the right way to do my job, I also want to know how to effectively walk with the Lord and to know what rules and commands he has for me to make sure I'm living my life as a Christian correctly. Mm. Um, And the Bible gives my life that direction. It's it's a gift from God, and so I want to take advantage of that gift and use all of it to help guide my life. Um, And now I want to make the point that God definitely can work outside of the Bible to bring people into faith. Like, obviously, Abraham didn't have the Bible or any sort of manuscript to help lead him to God. Um, You know, God actually spoke directly to him and revealed himself in a mighty way. Um, So that's possible to happen to other people today, too. Um, And also, like, simply going through the motions of reading the Bible doesn't save you or automatically make you a better Christian. Only God can save and change people's hearts. But it is important for us to, again, recognize that God has spoken to us. Um, He has given us the words from his very mouth, and that is a gift that we should not take for granted. And like we've been mentioning, like there are people out there, like you said, biblical illiteracy. um, They just say that the Bible is a nice piece of literature, um, that it was written by some nice religious guys who aren't really speaking for God in their writing, but just conveying their own thoughts. And that that's simply not a true right. way of thinking. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So if we think that scripture is just some nice literature, then how can we trust it to effectively lead our lives? Like, how can it be of any profit to us if we don't view it as being God's infallible word? Mm. Um, so if we're going to put our faith into Christ, then we must be we must believe that His word matters and that every part of it was written for our benefit and can apply to our lives today. Hmm. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I really um, I just am like sitting here and thinking about everything you've said. <laughs> There's so much to take in and it's a big topic. So, yes, it was probably too big for one podcast episode, but I can um, come back. Okay, all right. Um, so, you know, since you read novels and books, mm-hmm. because you shared that at the beginning of the episode, you know, how do you actually read your Bible? Because how, when, where, what kind of Bible reading do you do? How mm-hmm. do you find time? I mean, you have little kids. Where do you read? Like, you know, give me reading 101 for the novice, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, so I kind of mentioned in my intro, um, again, like I try to make the like Bible reading the first thing I do in the morning. Um, so again, I try to get up before my kids in the morning so I have at least half an hour to an hour to dedicate to reading to the Bible. And what time would that be? Um, I get up around 7. My kids get up like okay. 7.30, 8 o'clock. Okay. Um, and sometimes like I don't even get out of bed. I just turn mm. off my alarm and I just grab my Bible from my bedside table and just read in bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's just easier. Um, 
Now, obviously, like this doesn't happen every morning because sometimes my kids wake up before me or I have to get up early for something. Um, but if I can't do it first thing, then I like definitely try to find time to do it at some point during my day. Um, and I kind of try again, like nap time is a big, you know, yes, time that I've got some some quiet time that I can dedicate to that. So I kind of have in mind, OK, if I can't do it in the morning, I have nap time. Um and I, I do read a lot, um, like we mentioned, but I've made it a habit that if I haven't read my Bible yet for the day, I don't allow myself to read anything else until that gets done first. Mm, that's a good habit. Yeah. Um, now, I'm the type of person I can actually read with noise and distractions around me. I've oh. had a lot of practice, a lot of practice where I can just kind of tune it out now. Um, so I can pretty much read anywhere, but if you are not that sort of person, um, I would encourage you to find those moments during the day where you can get some quiet time and get into the word. Um, again, maybe during kids' nap times or right before you go to bed at night, but it is important to recognize when those times are for you and then just be diligent in making that reading happen. Okay. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. And then for me... I, I just want to oh, say yeah. I cannot read with noise. <laughs> so I have to do it early in the morning. Like yeah. I'm up and reading at 5... You know, forty-five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you recognize that in yourself, so that's yep. important to to do. Yeah, um, and then for me too, it's really important to have a reading plan mm -hmm. to me follow too. when reading the Bible. <clears throat> um, so I just finished a plan that went through the Bible chronologically in a year, and that was really helpful for me. Um, and as I was reading, I realized like there were a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament that I really wasn't fully like absorbing. Okay. Um, so I decided to go back through and do a more in-depth study of his epistles. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just going through slowly a chapter at a time. I'm kind of like outlining as I go. I love that. Um, that's a great, great yeah. tip to do. Yeah. So I'm just kind of slowing down instead of trying to, you know, get it all read within a year. Um, I'm just, just trying to go slow and really break down what his writings are saying. Um, but again, for anyone who isn't quite sure where to start, I would say, again, just start at the beginning. Read Genesis to Revelation, maybe a chapter or two a day. Um, or you can also follow a read through the Bible in a year plan like I did, um, and that can help give you some guidance too. Um, but ultimately, I would say it's important for you to find a system that works for you because it's going to look different for everybody. Um, find something that's going to help you get into the Word every day, um, and that's going to help you get the most out of what you read. Yes. Um, so my husband is very dyslexic, and he uses an audio version of the Bible. That's actually, um, when he was younger, he asked his mom for an audio version of the Bible because that was the only way he was going to be able to read it. Um, and so she got him one, and that's how he got into Scripture for the first time. Hmm. Um, so, Great story. <laughs> yeah, so if he didn't have that audio version, it would be so much harder for him to get into the Word. Um, so it's important for people to recognize if you have like a limitation like that. Um, I know some people are creative and benefit from like journaling through the Bible reading. I, I am not that type of person, but you know, some people that's really helpful yeah, for them yeah. or if they, you know, take notes, like something like that would be helpful to try too. Um, and you might not know what system works best for you right now and right. that's okay. Um, you know, just jump in, play around with different resources and, and don't feel intimidated by it. Um, I think we can sometimes look at Bible study as like this massive daunting thing and it really doesn't have to be. Um, the Lord is gracious Again, his word does not return void. Um, and I promise that it is way more beneficial to be in the word without a plan than it is to have the best reading plan in the world and never use it. Yes, that's a really good point. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's lots of listeners that are listening. We have women who are um, in your stage of life. You know, mm -hmm. they, they have little ones. And so their time is limited and their amount, maybe a busy college student or high school student. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe a, a woman whose kids are all in school all day long, you know, in public school. Or maybe it's someone who's in that, that time period when they really don't have anybody that 
they're taking care of anymore, mm-hmm. um, or a working woman. And what I think is really cool is the Bible isn't about, there's no rule on how much you read every day yeah. or the time you read. Mm-hmm. It's really that you do it. And I love how you brought that out, that it's not about the best reading plan in the world. It's really that you actually read. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had seasons in my life, Dakota, where I have read three or four chapters a day. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like where I'm at right now. I can do that. I have time to do that. Yeah. Sometimes I read them and I have to go, wait a minute, I got to go back and read. So I have to make notes so I remember what I'm reading or take pull a verse from each chapter. That's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. And just write that on my notebook so I have something to keep. Or I remember when I had little kids and, you know, like I remember having my fifth baby. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> wow. And so I started connecting with other women. I said, I know I won't do this if I am not reminded. So I started mm-hmm. with group a group of other ladies to remind each other to read the Bible every day. Yeah. And then I was reading, I don't know, five verses. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just could do what I could do. And I'd, I'd just think about those verses all day long and I'd write them out and then I'd move on. And so I think I think that your point is so important. It's more about just doing it. Yeah. And you make a, a good point, point, too, that, yeah, there's definitely going to be different seasons of life. Like my reading plan this year looks way different than it did, again, like I was in college and I wasn't, yep. you know, busy with kids all day. So um, women definitely should not be afraid to tweak their plan as they go. Like yeah. if it's not working for that season, find something else that works better. Yeah. And I think um, even some women might be thinking, oh, you know, all I have time for is to do the Bible study that I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a season for that too. I mean, I think reading the Bible every day is good, but if you're reading the passage that you're studying in the Bible every day, like for example, if you're reading the same passage, I I think that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, it is good to be reading other things. So I would challenge everybody to try to do one more thing. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, do just take one more, pick one more thing to do, right? (laughs) All right. So one of the things that I love about you, Dakota, and um, I think this is something I've learned because we've spent quite a bit of time together over the years. And um, I don't know, maybe I've known you five years. Less than that. Less than that. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, and one thing I love about you is you are a student. You are always a student. You are always learning. You are always reading. You are always growing. And I love to see that. So teach us how we can be a student of the Bible. What are some tricks and tips to not ju- to actually study it in addition to just read it? Yeah. Um, so like we've mentioned, like I am a bookworm. And so um, we've kind of mentioned a little bit, but like I, I love to buy Bible commentaries, um, again, by solid Christian yep. theologians. So make ask, sure. Yeah. Ask your pastor or yeah. pastor's wife for some good suggestions. Yes. Um, yeah. So I like to use these commentaries just to give me deeper insight into the passages I'm reading. Um, So this last fall in our women's Bible studies, we read through Psalm 119. Mm -hmm. um, And I read Charles Spurgeon's commentary as a companion to my weekly reading with that. Is Um, that the Golden Alphabet? Yes. And that was on YouTube. Oh, in audio. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So if you need the audio, there it is. Um, Yeah, but I got so much more out of Mm -hmm. that study because of reading that commentary with the passage itself. Um, It really helped me organize my own thoughts on the psalm, and it brought forward insights that I wasn't able to think of on my own. Me too. Um, Yeah, so it's really helpful to have those extra resources, um, again, by credible authors. Um, But yeah, it, it really helps aid in reading. Um, there are also like helpful podcasts out there that you can listen to that help you go deeper. Um, in fact, one podcast I listened to that relates really well to our conversation today about the Old Testament um, is called Bible Talk. Um, and it's like three guys. I think two of them are like pastors. And then one of them is just like a mediator between them. But um, they're associated with nine marks and they are going through the whole Bible and discussing it. And I think they're only like in Judges or Ruth right yeah, now. Um, but they do a really excellent job of illustrating how all of these Old Testament passages point forward to Christ. Um, so every episode, like they're 
pointing the passage to Christ forward, you know, to the Messiah. And so anyone who's interested in studying more how the whole Bible ties together um, and how the Old Testament and New Testament connect, kind of like what we've been talking about yep. today, I would highly recommend, um, again, it's the Bible Talk podcast. Um, and then, like we've been mentioning, there are other shows too, like on YouTube and, and things like that that can really help you dig deeper into your scripture reading. Um, so again, for those who are maybe more audio visual learners, you know, um, yeah. that could be helpful too. And just a side note on that, just a reminder, which I think is something that we've brought up multiple times in the podcast, but um, the Bible is infallible, but people are fallible. True. Yes. So you may read or hear someone speak on a podcast or something, and you you might have to think, is that right? Mm-hmm. Does that go back to what the Bible says? Or um, so just just be aware of that. Just mm-hmm. be aware that you are listening to men, and so when men are speaking, even your pastor, even you know your Bible study leader. There could be things. You just got to be aware of that as you yes. study the Bible. Yeah, because uh, yeah, ultimately, like nothing is going to replace you know right. being in Scripture itself. Yes. You yeah. know, if you're if you're listening to commentaries and podcasts more than you're being in the actual yes. Word, that right. could be a problem. Yes, <laughs> that is a right. problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, another thing I would highly recommend, uh, maybe spending a little extra money on a study Bible. A study Bible. Um, I have the New King James Version study Bible that was put out by Thomas Nelson. Um, and then my husband has the John MacArthur study Bible. Um, and what a study Bible does is it provides like a basic commentary and footno- uh, footnotes right along with mm-hmm. whatever Bible passage you're reading. Um, so oftentimes if there's like a verse that doesn't make sense to me or if there's some historical context that I'm not understanding, often I can look down at a footnote and get an explanation on that specific verse that helps clarify what it mm-hmm. means. Um, and if you don't want to spend money on a bunch of commentaries, you know, buying a bunch of individual books, um, at least with a study Bible, like you have the scripture and then the commentary right there in the same book. Um, and that's actually how I kind of started getting more into Bible reading in college. Um, my parents gave me that New King James book, study Bible. Um, and so having those footnotes really helped me a lot as I kind of started my Bible reading journey. And there's a couple of websites that offer free mm-hmm. commentaries too. So if you don't want to buy the commentary, you can use Bible Hub. Yes. You can use um, uh Precept Austin. So we'll put those in our show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking there's one more. Yeah, I know. If you find one one in the show notes, you'll know that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But there's a few of them that offer free access to Matthew Henry or some John Calvin. So you can go read those passages without having to have your Mm -hmm. bookshelves full. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then it's also helpful, like we kind of talked about, um, if your church offers Bible study, Um, to join one and get more into the word that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Bible study we've been doing this year, I've actually been helping to lead it um, with another lady from our church. And having a group of people all study the same passage together and then talk about it is just really really edifying. Like each week, the ladies bring forward things that I didn't think about necessarily when I was studying the passage. And so like if studying the Bible is something you're hesitant about, I think studying the Bible with a group can definitely give you some extra support as you start out, um, maybe give you some new ideas and inspiration for how to study too. And Julie, kind of like what you mentioned, you know, having a group just to hold you accountable yep. that you are reading, like positive peer pressure is really yes. important. Yes. Like it helps me too. I know I was part of one of those groups that you talked about, just have, we had like the Facebook group where we would post every day mm-hmm. what we were reading. And so just having that positive peer pressure, like, okay, yeah, like I got to post, I got to remember to post today because they'll know if I didn't, right. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Um, that can be really helpful. And, and there are days that we, we miss Oh, for sure. Because yeah. things come up, but it is to have your your goal be to read every single day mm-hmm. is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Definitely the way to go. 
Dakota, thank you so much. I know You're how welcome. much hours you put into preparing and <laughs> yes, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you wrote a novel. That's right. Um, but it, it's good because um, the Bible is is the life, our life. You know, it's mm-hmm. a part of our lives and we need to we need to make this be something that we make be a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's, there's a few prayers I pray for my kids every day. I pray that God would give them a repentant heart that they would see their sin, mm-hmm. and that they would turn from it. That's my number one prayer. And my second prayer for my kids is, this: these are my prayers almost every single day, is that they would love God's Word and yes. read it. And if those two things happen, I'm not saying they won't have struggles or difficulties in life, but if those two things are working for you, then mm-hmm. you know that's what you're working on, then your life is going to be good in God. Yes, And I think absolutely. that's really important. Would you pray for us today? Yes, for sure. Father God, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. Um, I thank you that that we can know your heart because of your scripture that you have given to us. And I pray, Father God, for any woman out there who is hesitant to study, um, who is maybe intimidated to get into your word, especially those hard passages, Father, I pray that you would just soften her heart and give her a deep desire to know more about you and to learn more about you and to love you through the study of your word, Father God. It is so important and such a beautiful gift that you have given to us. I pray that we would not take that gift for granted, um, that we would appreciate it and that we would use it in our lives as as day-to-day Christians. Um, I thank you so much that we've had this time to spend together, Lord, and I pray that you would just bless the listeners um, as they've listened to this podcast and pray that we would do all things to honor and glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Amen. All right. Well, ladies, I am so glad that you're listening. I just have a couple things I want to tell you before we are done with our episode today. Um, First off, I want to remind you to head to the show notes because we have some resources we'll put in there for you. And also, I want to tell you about something really fun coming up starting in May. So I don't know when you're listening to this episode, but pretty soon you're going to hear something called Tiny Tidbits. Pretty cool. I love that name. Tiny Tidbits, and it's not donuts, just on a side (laughs) note. That'd be fun. Okay, Tiny Tidbits are little itty-bitty things that women who are our listeners are going to share. And every single week, you're going to hear a new Tiny Tidbit at the end of each episode. So it usually would be right here at the end. Because they're going to be things about, oh, maybe about Bible reading. Maybe it's going to be about some life hack. We just want to bring some of our listeners in and let them be a part of our episodes each week. Um, So be sure you stay tuned all the way till the end of each episode from now on out and hear those amazing tiny tidbits. And next week, we're going to be um, talking about our, our fifth installment of Feminology this year and that is going to be on the topic of compassion because um we've talked about all these these emotions but you know there's a difference between being compassionate towards others or you know being hard and and not being compassionate i'm not sure what the opposite word is for compassion i'm waiting for dakota i'm thinking she's my (laughs) word girl here come on i that's why i wanted to say hard yeah um okay Uncompassionate. (laughs) Uncompassionate. There you go. Okay, there we go. The easy one. Right. So we're going to be talking about that next week and and how that looks in the real world and how it looks as a Christian. And so I think you're going to want to listen for that episode on how we can have compassion for those around us. And okay. And one more thing, I just want to remind you to head over to our social media, which is Women of the Word. And you can find that on, um, well, you can find it in our show notes if you you want. And you can also find it on Instagram and Facebook. Um, It is our umbrella account that covers all of our ministry that happen here at Christ the Word, which includes our mom-to-mom ministry. It includes our, our planted blog. 
uh, are regarding him women's conference and also this podcast so it's a great place to find a lot of really good encouragement and truth so head over and like that or follow it today Um, And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. 